0: Well, good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to join me in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 20. And then we're going to go to chapter 9, verse 17. And so basically we're going to try to cover uh, all of the Noahic covenant or God's covenant or promise with Noah. And so that's what our theme is going to be this morning is uh, this covenant that God makes with Noah And in more of an explicit way, it speaks of covenants. And so you're going to see covenants in this term used throughout the Bible, even leading all the way up to the new covenant, which we are in at this particular moment, uh, God's new covenant with humanity uh, that Jesus established. And so uh, you're going to see this language, though, being the first used. Some would even communicate about an uh, Adamic or an Adamic covenant, Covenant, a covenant with Adam, if you will, similar language, but not explicitly called a covenant. So this will be the first time you'll see this language as it relates to humanity being the Noahic covenant. And so uh, you'll continue to see covenants with Moses, the Mo- Mosaic covenant coming up, Davidic covenant, and a uh, biblical uh, covenant, if you if you will. You'll see that, um, that uh, throughout, and then, of course, the new covenant as well. So you'll be walking through these covenants as we... Um, uh, walk through these, you'll be seeing covenants um, that'll be given and being a, be established. And so I want you to pay attention to this. This is where we'll be this morning, God's covenant with Noah. So let me read Genesis chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 20, and then we're going to go to chapter 9, verse 17, where we'll see this uh, play out in its entirety. And then next week, we'll begin picking up with Noah's descendants, uh, the nations that are descended and maybe even hit the Tower of Babel in next week's sermon as well. So let's read Genesis 8, beginning in verse 20. The word of the Lord says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever ever again strike down every living creature as I have done While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand. They are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. You should not eat the flesh with its life, and uh, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and, from, and for man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his, shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, and as many as it came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and God. And every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that you would help us this morning to uh, render from it what you want us to understand about you and about your character and about your nature. I understand about the promises that you make and how those promises are. Uh, an eternal promise lord that you will not go back on your word and so you um, are showing us more of your nature showing us more of your power more of your your omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence and you uh, can make these promises unlike us because you have the power to ensure that they come um, and that they maintain whereas lord we make promises and Uh, We do not have the power to ensure that they happen. We can promise that we will do this or that. But Lord, you say that such promises are boasting and boastfulness that Lord, we cannot even promise that today or tomorrow we'll be working to do this and that, for we know not what tomorrow will bring. And so, Lord, we're thankful that you are a God who can make promises and keep those promises. And so, Lord, as we look at a promise that you made to Noah and to Noah's family and to the The earth as a whole, and to the creatures of the earth, and even to us till this day, uh, Lord, may we realize just how amazing and powerful and gracious and long-suffering and patient you are, and Lord, how wicked and in need of forgiveness uh, that we are as people, and so I pray that you would help us, and that, Lord, that we would glean truth from to this day, that help us to understand our world that you've made, and uh, you, the God who created it. Uh, Help us to then give even greater confidence that Lord, we can go out in this world and be in it but not of it and share uh, you with others that others may come to a saving knowledge of your truth and we ask all this in jesus name amen well i want us to see four major points that kind of come out of these verses this morning and i believe we'll be able to take off and land and that is a good thing so that we can uh, see it all together and it's not going to be overtly complex but i hopefully there'll be uh, a, variety, a variety of things that you will glean from this, hopefully some things that you would not may have known already, and it will be a help to us uh, to see the text uh, come into fruition and help us to be able to defend our, our faith, to be able to explain uh, the God uh, that we believe in, the one true living God, uh, to come to have greater confidence in, in knowing him and, and understanding him, have greater confidence and, under, and uh, clarity in our, knowing ourselves uh, in light of him and his righteous character, And so hopefully from this, it will be a blessing to us uh, and to be able to show us some things that uh, or maybe a reminder of things that uh, would be helpful for us to know and to remember. So at this point, we know that God had created everything in six days. He rested on the seventh day, made Adam and Eve, the first two humans, uh, encouraged them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they began to do that before they could even do that. uh, They sinned against the Lord. And from that, you begin to see that then uh, they needed a covering, they needed clothing, Uh, They needed a provision for them. They needed a sacrifice on their behalf. And throughout that, you begin to see that there is a a system, if you will. There's a a need for sacrifices that will continue to be seen. Uh, They end up having children, Cain and Abel. You see the sacrificial system that takes place there. And then you continue on, and then we see Noah. And he needs to take on these clean animals, these unclean animals. Um, And that we're going to see that they're eventually going to be the distinguishing characteristics Uh, in Moses and the Mosaic covenant that's made there to help distinguish this people from other people and it will be for food even, but even at this particular time, you're going to see that they're helpful for uh, preserving uh, life of these animals. That's why there was more clean animals brought onto the ark. because There's going to be a sacrifice that's made um, that's as soon as Noah gets off the ark. And so then there's instructions given to Noah, Uh, man is sinful, exceedingly sinful with very uh, every thought and imagination of man, which is a generalization there. Uh, is evil continually, and so God says, I'm going to destroy the earth, but it's gracious, chooses a family, communicates to that family, that family is faithful, and then ultimately is spared from God's wrath and judgments, which he sent through a flood, and as we've talked about, a worldwide flood. Uh, The waters uh, remain there after it rained 40 days and 40 nights. You have rain coming down from heaven 40 days, 40 nights. You got waters gushing up from the earth, and ultimately for 150 days, the water was towering above all land so that everything perished except for what was in the ark and what few creatures could survive in the waters. And I'm sure even some of those creatures died that were in the waters as well. So ultimately, you're seeing a massive destruction. And so when Noah, uh, so then after a full year um, of being on the boat, and eventually he's allowed to leave. And I can only imagine, just for a moment as we get started, to think about what he must have seen. If you've seen any localized floods, uh, if you begin to see, we watched a documentary once on, um, uh, what's the name of the Thailand, uh, Phuket, Thailand, and uh, around Christmas time when there was the massive earthquake and then tsunami that hit uh, that area. was amazing, the devastation to begin to see and the amount of death and destruction and to think that that was the entire planet I can only imagine what Noah observed when he got off the boat. How much death did he see? And I don't know. Much might have been covered up by, uh, by the flood and by sediment. Uh, but I wonder how much that he saw and how different the earth was when he got off the boat. Uh, and so this is or got off the ark. And So this is exactly what he's going to be encountering, right? He's been on the ark over a year. Uh, After the 40 days, the water began, the 40 days of rain, they were able to open up the window and he's able to look across the landscape and see um, water everywhere and then began to release the raven, release the dove uh, to be able to see if there could be a place he could find um, uh, a place to uh, put his feet and to be able to walk and ultimately come to rest on Mount Ararat, on the mountains of Ararat. And so ultimately we begin to see that's where we find ourselves. He's released and then the moment he gets off the ark, he was given some instruction. And then he gets off the ark, and that's where we find ourselves uh, that the first thing that Noah does is to build an altar to the Lord, right? And that's where we see. And so in that, you're going to see a response from God is that God's going to make a promise. God makes a promise uh, when He provides that sacrifice. Now uh, it's not recorded he necessarily said this to Noah. Uh, it just simply says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered a burnt offerings and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, right? So it's not communicated that this was communicated to Noah. It's just that this is what was then trans, uh, was was communicated to Moses when Moses is recording this. And so we don't have record necessarily this was communicated to Noah specifically. But this is exactly, it's going to be reiterated later in the actual covenant itself, but this particular portion, we don't know if Noah knew, uh, this is one of the areas where God was pleased with him, but this is exactly how he responds so now you 're seeing why the extra animals of the clean animals that were designated there were seven pairs of those because he 's going to sacrifice some of those and it 's interesting that he uses the term burnt offering uh, as it 's then used in Moses day it was going to be a sin offering the burnt offerings were to be fully uh, every bit of it was burned and went to the lord it wasn 't there were some offerings that were be able to take uh, sacri- uh, portions of the sacrifice off and when the priest would be able to eat it or even the person who gave the offering was able to receive and eat from the offering but not the burnt offering it was fully received and fully given to the Lord and so you see here that's exactly the type of thing that Noah does or at least is listed here that he does as a offered of burnt offerings on the altar and not just some um, but he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird so he didn't take all seven pairs but he's going to take some of each of the uh, seven pairs of the clean offerings of every animal, and he's going to burn them. And in that, you begin to see that it was as if it is indeed intended to be what the language here is used—a burnt offering—and it would be one that would clearly be an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of praise, but an offering in light of sin. And so, you begin to think about that uh, on the ark uh, as they were there. That they weren't sinless, I'm sure, in that year. Imagine trying to go a year being sinless. So it's not going to happen. And despite the fact that they are um uh righteous and if they are declared righteous because God granted them righteousness doesn't mean that they were perfect or sinless and so even though once again there's not a, a sacrificial system in place at this particular time we know there's uh, at least some form of sacrifice that's taking place uh that's being given and it's not explicit it's not mapped out completely uh but there is aspects of it that must be similar to what was given to Moses and so the language is similar that's being used here and so was he acknowledging uh, thankfulness? I'm sure. Was he acknowledging praise and worship? I'm sure. Was he acknowledging uh, maybe looking at the amount of devastation, amount of uh, sin uh, the, or the effects of sin, the amount of death as a result of sin? He gets off the ark and is so thankful that he uh, provides a burnt offering. How much do you know about burnt offerings and the way that they were used in the Mosaic uh, Covenant? I don't know, but the reality here is that uh, the language here is of that, a burnt offering which then we do know in the Mosaic covenant was one that was given for sin. And so he gets off the ark and he's expressing worship and thankfulness and probably humility in that, that he desires to honor the Lord. And so it pleased the Lord. And the Lord smelled it, the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, right? So the Lord is um, uh, communicating that he will never again curse the ground because of man. And so up to this point, we've seen curses on the ground, have we not? We've seen... Curses that uh, even from Genesis chapter three, and then clearly there was a curse on the ground in the sense of God destroyed everything as a result of the flood, and so that impacted the world in a tremendous way. It was a new earth when they got off the boat; that was much different than the earth that they had known prior to the worldwide flood. So I will never again, again curse the ground because of man, and he knows that the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth, and so God knows us, knows humanity. And he says, never, neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. And once again, I want to communicate to us language that that speaks of a worldwide flood. This is exactly how the scripture communicates. And you'll see all, even throughout this text, I'm going to try to point out that before, because many would say it was a localized flood. And the problem there is if it's localized flood, then God's a liar. Because God has flooded, as we talked about, uh, areas like Phuket, Thailand, and others where there have been, massive floods that have destroyed the earth portions of the earth localized portions and so ultimately this is not what is communicated here he's never neither will i ever strike again strike down every living creature as i have done of course barring those that were protected by the ark and so he says while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall not cease and so ultimately says uh, the earth remains um, these things aren't going to cease. We're going to continue to have seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. These patterns are going to continue, right? And so there are going to be days, day and night, going to be 24-hour periods again and again, and those things are going to turn to summer and winter, and we're going to have seasons. And so in those seasons, there will eventually be warm seasons and cold seasons, and so you're going to see how it all plays out, and in that you're going to see there's going to be seed time. There's going to be a time as those seasons happen that you'll need to plant, and there's going to be times where there'll be harvest and so ultimately, was it communicating that the, word, the earth will continue to remain and shall not cease the ongoing patterns because God is not going to destroy the earth in the manner that he had done before. And so it shall not cease, uh, cease. So while the earth remains, he'll never destroy it again in that manner. Now, the intent there is while the earth remains, there will come a day where the earth, and as we know it today, will not remain. Correct? There's a, going to be a future judgment. And it will be a total worldwide judgment, but it will not be, and God will keep this promise that he makes, it will not be as a result of a flood. This one will be by fire, the New Testament tells us. And so he will destroy it, and the earth will not remain. It will cease to exist completely. Uh, It won't be just a different earth like it was after the the, uh, flood. This is going to be a new earth and a new heaven, as the New Testament tells us. And so while the earth remains, all these things are going to continue, and they shall not cease. But there will come a time where the earth will not remain and there will be a new earth that was going to be created for us uh, a new heaven and a new earth as the New Testament speaks and so um, it won't be a destruction of the earth in the manner of a flood as he's made so this is so Noah provides an offering he provides a sacrifice and our sacrifices uh, and as he provides those sacrifices God makes a promise but a promise and the reality is is that Noah doesn't know this promise yet and so this word then as he responds in faith, he responds in obedience, he responds in praise and in worship and in thanksgiving and in uh, humility and in light of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of humanity, the consequences of sin as it relates to, the, to that, uh, and just seeing the devastation, I'm sure that it was uh, this new planet, and to begin to think that ultimately all that was God had already provided, uh, much of that was not going to be able to survive. Some uh, plants and some trees can survive uh in water uh, but whether or not they could or did if not it could be barren in many many ways um and so uh it wasn't completely barren some things did survive or, or, or got an ordained it to survive because ultimately there was an olive branch that was brought back uh and so ultimately you begin to see that it is one of those that can but then much had to be uh planted and had to be used um through the seeds that were taken on the ark and so i can only imagine the devastation that noah had seen you begin to think about that uh, coming off um, the ark, and how much devastation he would have witnessed it had to be extensive. And so God makes a promise. He builds an altar. Uh, first, uh, we're seeing of those type of terms here. Builds an offer, has a burnt offering, and it was pleasing to the Lord. So God makes a promise. Noah doesn't know the promise yet, but he, God makes a promise. And then you see then that he's going to get informed of this promise. He's going to be informed. And so you're going to see that God blesses Noah and his family. This is chapter... 9 verses 1 through 7. God blesses Noah and his family. Exactly what Scripture says in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill, fill the earth. And so one of the blessings is uh, you're going to have an opportunity to continue to fulfill the, the corporate global command that I had given Adam and Eve, right? So now Adam and Eve are gone. Um, all humanity is gone except for these eight people. And so Noah and his sons, his three sons, and all of their wives are to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Same command that was given to Adam and Eve is the command that's given here as we spoke of last week. But now there's a new earth that we're going to be seeing. There's a new planet, as you will, that they're seeing. And so Noah had to be fearful. And so God in his blessing begins to quiet some of their fears. And so then he begins to say in verse 2, the fear of you... And the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. And so he's communicating to them that ultimately animals will be afraid of them, right? So you can only imagine the fear that might have crept in at a variety of times. Um, God is not one to be trifled with. God's word is one that is serious. The consequences of sin are severe. And so as he begins to venture into this new world if you will after all that he's seen or experienced i'm sure there could be fear in his heart and so as there's been animals that were on the ark and i don't know the interaction they had some said the animals may have been in some type of um, hibernative uh, type of activity uh, did the animals breed on the ark was there breeding that was taking place during that that year did they not and why were the reasons around that we don't know any of that the bible doesn't speak of this so no need to speculate on that the reality on this is they're getting off though. Uh, is how are we going to interact in this new world? How are the animals going to interact? And so God says, one of the blessings is going to be that I'm going to place the animals to have a fear of you, a dread of you. And that doesn't say that that always ceases to exist, uh, and it has ceased to exist. There can be um, uh, diseases, as an animal is rabid, that they begin to act in manners that they wouldn't normally act. But as a whole, um, Most creatures, all creatures' desire are afraid of humans, and this is a God-given fear, a God-given dread that he's placed upon the animals uh, that only attack, for the most part, if there's uh, something wrong with them or if there's an endangered field where they feel like they cannot escape and must attack uh, or if there's a danger instinctively that uh, animals desire to protect themselves or to protect their young. But as a whole, they desire to, uh, because of this fear and dread that God put on the animal's Uh, which is a blessing to us. If the animals were completely bold and brazen, they may kill us and they may harm us. And so ultimately that is not how God created them and not how God designed them. And here you're seeing that design come uh, explicitly told to Noah and his family. So he tells them to be fruitful, to bless. He blessed them and told them to be fruitful and and multiply and fill the earth. He told them the blessing was going to come, that the animals would be delivered into their hands and then number three, you see on verse three, and every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I have gave, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So now you're beginning to see that where there was no carnivores before, now doesn't mean that they, man in its sinfulness, did it um, already eat uh, animals. Potentially that could have been the case, especially with those who weren't desiring to honor God. We know there was a. Uh, development of habit uh of animals as far as um uh animal husbandry if you will there was a desire to of livestock and producing livestock that was in the line of cane and so were they eating those animals Um uh, potentially we don't know once again there's no way of knowing for sure but ultimately there could have been an eating of animals but ultimately they were vegetarians everything was a vegetarian up to this point and so now you're seeing that the earth has changed and so where they were to only eat the green things, as we've been communi- as communicated this in Genesis chapter 2 and following, now there's an uh, ability to be able to eat the animals. And so everything that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, this would be interesting to us, right? As we look at the Mosaic Law, we begin to see that these clean animals that are, dura- that are explained, uh, at least referenced here in the, uh, putting those on the ark, uh, and unclean animals— are uh, being used for what animals they could eat and not eat in the Mosaic Covenant. Remember I told you many look at that and are communicating about health and uh, and the ceremonial laws there. Well, first of all, the primary purpose of that, as we looked at last week, was to distinguish them from the nations. Uh, and there, are there potentially some um, benefits to it? Sure. But here, even before the Mosaic uh, Covenant, you're seeing that God said that everything is is for us to eat. And so uh, we, we're to be able to eat it and eat every Animal that is on the planet, and so that is for food for humanity. And so, as you begin to think about that, just be cautious. Not to say there's not some benefits that we can learn from um, eating healthy, and and clearly the way we are producing animals in our current day is not uh, in many ways, as far as the way they're harvesting the animals to for mass production is not the way God had designed it. And there's much uh, consequences, I'm sure, to that. However. Uh, we want to be cautious not to put limitations on that because even the New Testament says that ultimately we can eat anything. that they, Acts chapter 10 and other references is that these animals are good for us to eat and so we can do so. And so there's no limitations after Noah and the ark for them to not be able to eat the one animal versus the other animal. So they're all available for us to be able to eat. Just as the green plants were able to eat, I give you everything to eat. Now there's one caveat. Verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh, so you shall not eat these animals with its life. So don't eat the animal with its life, that is, its blood. And so clearly some would say eat its its flesh with its life, and eat it while it's still alive, uh, which would be weird and and, uh, gross. Uh, But then even more so, it's communicated here that it's speaking primarily to life is its blood. Don't eat it rare, it needs to be cooked. And as we look now, once again, of... uh, medical uh, examinations and of bacteria you begin to see why cooking it prevents us from things that they did not know at that particular time but had to respond simply by faith and doing it the way God had told them to uh, that it protects us now because now we are more aware of bacteria we're more aware of diseases that can harm us and so at this particular time it says don't eat it with its blood and so and this is one of the new testament requirements too that uh, as it's given to the gentiles uh, that in acts 15 and others where they're Talking to whether or not the Gentiles and that are converting uh, to Christianity need to become Judaizers, and these are one of the requirements that it places on it that they would not eat its flesh with its blood. So, so clearly, uh, that has not changed. God still knows and has designed uh, that there are in, in our uh, fallen world there's diseases and there's bacteria that can harm us, and so we want to make sure that we are not. Um, spreading those diseases and spreading that bacteria that could be harmful to us. And so he says, so eat everything and anything that you want, but you should not eat flesh with its life, that is the blood. And for your lifeblood, now he's going to then transition from that. And as he's blessing and giving blessings, he wants to protect them. So all these are blessings. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That's a blessing. The animals are going to be afraid of you. So that's a blessing. They've all been placed and delivered in your hand. That's a blessing. Everything that moves shall be food for you. That's a blessing. So you have now the plants to be able to eat. as produce. You have the animals to be able to eat. Uh, and so everything he's giving you. But there's now the caveats. Be careful. Don't eat the flesh with its life. That is the blood. And now he's going to say another blessing. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it and from man. So if an animal, even though they're afraid of you, if an animal were to uh, harm a person, it's going to require its blood for your blood, right? And if a man kills another man, it will require his blood. And so uh, as it continues in verse 5, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Which is interesting that we're at this particular passage as it relates to even uh, recent communication from the Pope of the Catholic Church who recently denounced capital punishment and is communicated that that is uh, not the direction that they, uh, the Catholic Church will go and as the vicar or the mouthpiece for God as uh, they teach... That ultimately, then capital punishment is not to be on the planet. The problem with that is, is that's not how the Word of God communicates, right? This is um, what is being spoken of here. It's that ultimately, if you shed the blood of man, your blood shall be shed. Now, one of the greatest uh, determinants from um, punishment or from crime is punishment, right? And you begin to realize the consequences and the effects of your actions. It's a uh, God given grace that helps us to limit. Uh, what may take place on the earth and now there's even conversations discussions about how inhumane prison is for prisoners now you begin to think about that process that uh, how inhumane prison is for prisoners despite the fact i don't know if you've seen many prisons and three square meals a day and and uh, clean places to be able to live and drinking water and bathrooms and so on and so forth Uh, many places of the world don't have that but you begin to allow those who uh, don't have any standard, that do not desire or not afraid of anyone. Um, and as judges begin to speak of, we're going to pray that God would raise up a judge to help us if we return to those days and where every man did what was right in his own eyes. It could be a very dangerous thing. And there are movies that, and I've not watched any, but there are movies that speak of this type of behavior, this type of activity. We've walked through some of those with uh, westerns, and we begin to see that, but even movies today of the various purgings that they talk about. Uh, the movie is entitled Purge or whatever, where ultimately on this particular evening or this particular day, anyone can do whatever they want, and there's no laws against it. And so you begin to think about the mass uh, chaos and anarchy that would take place. And so um, man needs restraint, needs laws. And so here God puts forth a law that begins to talk, if you take a man's life, your life will be required. And so it's a massive limitation there. And so we begin to think about the Catholic Church, succumbing so to the pressures of this world and, and beginning to once again uh, another rejection of god's word it's a dangerous thing for us to be able to look at but here long before the mosaic covenant instructions that are given are you can eat animals you can eat of those but then listen you're not to eat man because why well you can never eat a man if you didn't kill him and so ultimately we're not to be eating people uh, and we're definitely not to be taking man off our fellow man's life For if an animal or a man takes life then that life of that person or animal will be required. And you'll see that reiterated in the Mosaic laws as well. And then he says, once again, he reiterates in verse 7, And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so you're beginning to see this multiplication and filling the earth. This is important because then you're going to see a rejection of that, and you're going to continue to see rejections of that as uh, the Tower of Babel is that they're wanting to see these, these large cities built, these large cities established, and not fill up the earth? That all be in one location, and so you're uh, you're seeing a direct rebellious act against God's word in those. But you're seeing God makes a promise, uh, not necessarily communicated to Noah directly, uh, but definitely is recorded for us to be able to know about. Just like we see in the Book of Job, you don't necessarily Job's not necessarily aware of the conversations that happen between Satan and God Himself, but then we as a reader are made aware of it. Same situation that happens here. Noah provides an offering. God is pleased with that and then uh, makes a promise in his heart that we're communicated, uh, we're uh, uh, made aware of, that necessarily Noah may not have been made aware of at that moment. Then God blesses Noah and his family. Number three, God establishes a covenant with Noah. God establishes a covenant with Noah. Chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him. And so it's called the Noahic Covenant. Uh, with Noah directly, but what you're going to see, this covenant isn't simply with Noah or only Noah. It's Noah and his sons. It's going to be Noah and his sons and their wives. It's going to be Noah's sons and their wives and uh, every, every living creature that's on the planet, as you will see here. So then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, And as many as came out of the earth, out of the ark, for uh, out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And so you're seeing who it's with, who it's the promise, who's the covenant made with. And so you begin to think about what that means. Number one, something that God is going to establish. Uh, You're going to see these um, uh, unilateral type of covenants again and again and again where God's going to make it, but it's not a bilateral covenant, it's not between. Um, both are making promises this is simply a one direction promise right this is what god's promising to noah and not what noah's necessarily promising to god you see the same thing this unilateral covenant made with abraham as abraham's put to sleep um and um god makes him and makes a covenant with abraham and the purpose of that is because abraham would not be able to keep the covenant but god would keep his promise and so god's the one that's going to establish a covenant with noah he's the one Uh, unilaterally, it's going to give that. And so ultimately, it wasn't just with Noah. It was personal, personally with Noah, but it was universally um, that it was with Noah, but it was beyond Noah. Uh, It was with his family and then with all creation itself. And so you're seeing that even the livestock and every beast of the earth is included in this. And so he's going to establish this covenant with them. And so then you think about the term covenant. What is that? And what does it mean? This binding agreement. And we don't use language like that. Probably the, one of the only areas where we're using the term covenant any longer is in what? Marriage. And uh, I think even as that continues to be undermined, they'll eventually cease uh, and then we'll maybe lose the word completely as for what it means to assign a covenant and to establish covenants. Uh, some documentation still carries it, but more and more as our culture moves away from uh, this type of language, uh, it's sad, but we're going to see that that language is not going to be used and then, as churches are, are becoming as uh, more and more um, uh, liberal, I think we're going to see those even those that language move away for even in many of our churches of the day. but he says, hold on, we'll establish this agreement, this binding agreement with you and with your offspring after you." In verse eleven, he says, "I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh. There's that universal language again all living thing um, that were killed, this worldwide flood, and never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy what? Just a portion of the earth, a localized flood? No, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the entire earth, right? So destroy everything. And so God is making a promise. God establishes a covenant, a binding agreement, a promise that God intends to keep and God intends to, Uh, fulfill. And so as we walk through that, we think through this, this is exactly what God um, uh, will do and has done. And and as we look at uh, history and time, we begin to realize that so far over uh, these 6,000 years, that's that's exactly what's taken place, that God has been faithful and he's kept his word. There's never been a worldwide flood again. And so this is the one and only time. And it's because God, when God makes a promise, unlike the rest of us, um, when God makes a promise, because he's not like us, he uh, is all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, and he's everywhere. He can ensure that his promises come to fruition. And so, unlike us, when we make promises, we cannot. And so God clearly establishes that this covenant, this promise he's made, will not happen again. There were, he will never destroy all flesh in this way, destroy the entire earth in this way. And so he establishes a covenant. Which then leads us to number four. God makes a promise. God blesses Noah and his family. God establishes a covenant with Noah. And then number four, God provides a sign of his covenant with Noah. Verse 12 and uh, twelve through 17, and God said. And once again, what are you seeing as we walk through this? And we picked up on it in the previous sermons uh, as we walk through this. But this is primarily the main character is once again God. This is what God is doing. God's the one who sent a flood. God's the one who warned Noah. God's the one who and uh, gave him instructions. God's the one who protected them. God's the one who told him when to get on the ark. God's the one who then sent the flood. God's the one who opened up the, the windows of heaven. God's the one who opened up the, the uh, corridors of the earth and allowed the waters out. God's the one who um, uh, 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 told him when to get off the ark. Uh, and now God's the one who's now communicating with them again. And throughout this passage, you're, you're seeing, yes, Noah builds an ark, but then God's the one who blesses them. God's the one who then establishes a covenant. And now God's the one who's going to provide a sign of his covenant with Noah. So God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations, right? So we begin to think about signs. This is exactly where people were ultimately preoccupied with. They want to see that uh, even in the day in the life of Jesus, the time of Jesus, that even though he was teaching and was providing numerous signs, the Pharisees still needed an additional sign, right? Uh, the people needed an additional sign. Show us that you truly are of God, despite the fact that you heal every ma- manner of disease, every ma- manner of illness. You cast out demons. You were being able to raise the dead. We need you still to do another sign. And so we're preoccupied with signs. And even to this day, we begin to wonder about signs. And, oh, this was a sign. And this was a confirmation. This confirmed. that what I was thinking is, is right, rather than simply trusting the Word of God and what God has already communicated. And so you'll see people with horoscopes and fortune cookies and they're pointing out and they're looking to see, and seeing if uh man of this fortune cookie what did it say and does this apply to me and all my horoscope and i'm a scorpio and uh you're a leo and so what does it say and are we compatible with one another and we're looking for all these signs are looking to the heavens and this is a sign and uh now with the lunar eclipses and the blood moons and all these things and we're like man these are all signs and all these guys from these Prophecy guys are writing their books about the blood moons and the signs that will be given and then trying to incorporate it with the scriptures rather than simply trusting what God has already communicated to us. And so ultimately they're to look to the heavens and the sun will communicate something to them, and they'll look to the the heavens and the, the moon will communicate something to them, and look to the stars and astrologically they're going astronomy, they're gonna begin looking at and studying the stars and examining the stars and how the stars have to communicate to us. As so we're looking for signs everywhere. And then clearly a, not paying attention to when God does place a sign and calls it a sign and tells us to pay attention sign, which does have an actual meaning. Instead, we come up with other foolish things about these type of signs, right? So what happens that you find at the end of the rainbow? Pot of gold, right? That's being guarded by leprechauns. And so, and it all throughout the time, you're going to begin to see that there's signs or, or information that's been given uh, to people. They can glean things from signs that they look at that are clearly extra biblical. But then even when you take the biblical signs, and rather than truly understanding what that sign meant and understanding how, what God intended by a sign and what he was actually communicating to us, we then translate those signs to mean something that they're not. Even so much so that the homosexual movement has now taken this sign and made it their own stamp Uh, for a whole separate thing that's actually um, an opposition to how God designed humanity here at the very creation of all things. so, But God clearly put a sign in the sky, in the heavens, for us to be able to see. And so God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So this is going to be even... For us to this day, that this sign is and this covenant is still in place, that all subsequent covenants that come that are built upon this, this one's not uh, removed, this covenant is still in place. And this is a sign of that covenant that even is for us to this day. So what is this sign that he's going to make? This, this symbol, this picture, uh, this mark for us that all funer- that Noah would have seen the people that came after Noah would have seen even to our day we would have seen. He says, I have set my bow in the cloud. Now, we call it a rainbow because typically it's followed when it, after it rains. And so what happens is there's water molecules in the earth or uh, in the sky, and as sun rays ref, uh, are refracted in it, it then produces colors as it's, the light's being refracted through the raindrops. And so where... Um, uh, the, uh, the uh, there's a whole explanation behind this but whether the, the the rainbow colors come from the amount of refraction that takes place and so where it's a greater uh, length of refraction and a, a much tighter and more narrow refraction is where you get the different types of colors that begin to come out of it but simply it's where water's in the sky which typically there's going to be water following rain which makes sense because that was exactly how god designed designed to destroy the earth, was through rain. And so this is going to be a means to begin to give encouragement and for mankind not to worry, but to place their faith and trust in God every time it rained. Now, could you imagine the first time it rained for Noah? It would be a great time for him, assuming that it didn't rain prior to this. It seems like he got off the boat. Uh, doesn't give us a time frame. All this happened probably pretty quickly. Establishes this altar, burns this, uh, burnt offerings before the Lord. God is pleased with it and communicates and blesses them, communicates to them, establishes a covenant, and guarantees a sign that potentially this all would have happened before the next rain. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But if it had not, could you imagine the fear that would have, if God had not spoken to him again and had not told him with the next instructions how, how fearful he must have been? Uh, and that may have led to these burnt offerings. Who knows? But the reality is how fearful it would have been if it had rained, knowing that the last time you saw this, God destroyed everything. And now he must be well, Did I? did I mess up? Did my family mess up? It's raining again. And so one of the ways that God mitigated against that is God established this covenant and said, this will never happen this way again. I will never destroy every living creature. And so the next time you see rain, know this. It's going to come shy of what you just experienced, right? It's not going to go to this full extent. And so ultimately, here will be a sign. And so it will be a great reminder after that first rain when if there was a rainbow, right, there was, we call it a rainbow. There was a bow in the sky. So ultimately, this picture would have been uh, for the symbol. The sign would have been a reminder to Noah that God keeps his promises and that it did rain. It did not just God did not destroy everything. And every time it rained and there was a rainbow it was a reminder that God is a covenant keeping God. God is a promise keeping God and God keeps his word. And so there was a sign placed in the heaven. Now, it's interesting that it says a bow and not, as we call it, a rainbow. And it's uh, the picture there for us is beginning to see, just like the word is used as a bow, like you would use a bow and an arrow. And so the imagery there would be, what do you use bows for? For death, for killing, for murder, for war. And so you begin to think that God now has hung up his bow in the sky that he will no longer destroy. God has made peace with man in that way that he's not going to destroy through reign in the manner he's not going to come with judgment as a fierce warrior and this is a language that we don't really pick up on why because as we talked about in our sunday school class jesus is meek and he's mild and the wrathful god of the old testament is no longer the god of today and so he's not going to punish sin and so uh, he's meek and mild and god is is good and and gracious and and never will punish sin and no the bible still is the same god of the old testament the same god of the new testament he never changes there's no shadow of turning in him and so ultimately, God is gracious to be able to communicate. I've hung up my wrath in that way. It's exactly what he had said after the offering that was made in verse 21. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of a man's, a man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And so he's communicating that I know man is sinful, and I'm not going to uh, pour out my wrath in this same way. Now, has God been wrathful towards sin sure and if we keep reading through the the book of the 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 bible as a whole you're going to see book after book after book where god judges sin and sinners alike for their rebellion against him and his and his word and his laws and his character and his nature however he says i'm not going to do so and so he hangs up his bow his his his, uh his wrath if you will the symbol of god's wrath over over uh over humanity and against humanity He hangs it in the sky and it shows it's a covenant. He will not be wrathful uh, through rain as he was before. And I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Once again, this universal picture of not just Noah and his family. And not just the animals, but of all subsequent generations that will follow. When I bring clouds, verse 14, over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living Creature of all flesh, and which as I remember, it's not saying that God forgets; uh, it's just that God is mindful, right? That He's mindful of us, and so every time when He established this and He, he performs these acts, He places His bow in the sky, as to continue to demonstrate that I am mindful of you. Just same way in verse uh, chapter eight, verse one. But God remembered Noah; it didn't like He forgot. It's like, man, it's been one hundred fifty days; I completely forgot about Noah and this and they and the ark. I hope everything's going okay down there, right? No, God remembers. He's demonstrating his mindfulness that he's compassionate. And he, he uh, is uh, speaking of God's being careful to um, consider us. And that's exactly the point. So I'll remember my covenant that's between me and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and God. And every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So when we look at the sky, how often do we pay attention to these type of signs, right? How often are we looking at this and just remembering and being reminded of how good God is and his faithfulness? Promises that we make and, and commitments that we make to other people that don't get fulfilled because either we do forget... Uh, or that we choose to do something different that might be in, in our best interest, uh, and that, that we're unwilling to sacrifice now to make that a fruition, that things that we thought were going to happen were going to happen, and rather being good on our promise, we back out of our promises, we back out of our covenants, we back out of our, our commitments, and we think about covenants that we make in marriage, and covenants that uh, we make, or agreements that we make in, in law, in a variety of different ways. Uh, covenants may way as far as business deals, that we establish contracts that we make that we make before God, that we back out of these things, and yet we completely bypass this promise that God has made thousands of years ago, right? And that yet he's fulfilled his promise. He's capable of, of honoring this promise and capable of fulfilling that promise, and he has for generations done that very thing. And it's a reminder to us, and yet we're running around all the time looking for different signs rather than completely just trusting in what God has already said. And so some takeaways for us is that, number one, for us to remember and know God's promises Once again, God sees us, and when we respond in faith and obedience, it pleases the Lord, just as it did here with Noah. The first thing you see that God makes a promise is because it pleased the Lord of Noah's faithfulness. And so when we are faithful to the Scriptures, when we're faithful to what God has commanded us, then it pleases the Lord, right? And so uh, we need to be mindful that when we honor the Lord, it's pleasing to Him, and that God, in that... Responds in like manner, right? He knows all things, but yet He responds with us, and so our actions matter so much so that when Noah responded in this faithful act, God made a promise. Number two, we begin to realize that God blesses us, and we should never um, ever take for granted this blessing. This is a universal blessing that has implications of common grace for all people, right? And yes, it was this righteous man and his family, but how many people are unrighteous to live upon this planet that are blessed by this blessing? just as it was with Genesis chapter 12 when we get there. Ultimately, Abraham is going to be blessed, and through this blessing, the whole earth will be blessed, right? Through this covenant that God makes with Abraham, the entire world will be blessed, and ultimately we know that that's going to be the, the Messiah It's going to come. And so ultimately, there's a, a, an aspect of common grace that's here in this particular blessing that the entire world was blessed and that they can be able to participate in these things, be able to eat uh, plants, be able to eat animals, uh, to be able to have the fear and of animals, uh, 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 of humanity, uh, the ability to be able to uh, um, be fruitful, the ability to be able to multiply on the earth. These are all blessings that come from God, blessings that, uh, that come from the law of God as it relates to shedding of blood and, and uh, governments where the governments honor, actually, actually do honor the Scripture, whether they intended to or not. And there's laws that would, would guard against the shedding of blood and taking human life. These are all blessings that come from God. Do we thank God for them? We kind of, in a rote way, teach our children just to pray before meals and never really uh, teach them why. We're supposed to be thanking God for everything, right? so now we've kind of made it, and even guys like Tim Hawkins make fun of it, and and we begin saying things about the the meal that it's not there, and he's like, Lord, take these Cheetos and bless them that they may nourish my body, change the molecular structure of these Cheetos so it actually provide nourishment, right? Because we've made thankfulness into something weird, right? And what started out as genuine thankfulness becomes this rote prayer that we just pray because that's what we're supposed to do before we eat. Are we genuinely thankful for the food that we have? Are we genuinely thankful that uh, farmers have the ability to provide on their farms produce that makes it to grocery stores, which makes it to our house? Or if you pro- or have your own garden, you provide, and God provides uh, through the means of you working and sustaining it, God providing rain. All those ways you begin to think that if you were to go through a drought or not have food, uh, we'll be extremely thankful when we have it. And so are we thankful for the many ways of uh, blessings, the common graces God's give us to be able to get married and have children, to be able to eat plants and eat animals, uh, and to have laws that will protect us, to have animals that are afraid of us, uh, to protect us so that our life on this planet may be fruitful and may be encouraging. Number three, we should be thankful that God establishes a covenant with us and that God can keep his covenant promises. And so just like it was, God promised to never destroy the earth. And he's made that promise and is good on those promises. Do we thank God for that? And then are we mindful when we see his bow in the sky that God is no longer wrathful toward us in this way, but should also be a reminder that God will then destroy the earth one day and that he will never do it this manner as long as the earth remains, but the earth will not always remain, as we talked about. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that God will destroy the earth. And as we're on this, to be thankful that God is not going to destroy it, but as it was with Noah, that we too should be heralds of righteousness in our own wicked and perverse generation, and warn them that even though God won't destroy it again in this manner, He is coming to destroy it, and He will destroy it this next time by fire, and so that we should warn them. So takeaways for us practically to implement this into our life, all because of an illustration of how God has done this in the life of Noah. And so for us to be mindful of this, to take the encouragement from that, and for us then to pay attention to the signs that God has given us and quit looking for the signs that God hasn't given us, and truly understand and treat God's Word as it is, His eternal, everlasting Word that is neither wrong or, or inerrant, or is neither wrong nor in error, uh, but is ultimately His Word for us to trust and respond in faith. And so therefore, if we do, we can actually enjoy our time on this planet rather than being worried and fearful because He's given us something to place our trust in, which is Himself, and has given us signs to begin to demonstrate He will keep His promise.